welcome to the Perpetual Notion Machine on WORT 89.9 FM, community-supported radio in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm your host, Katherine Garvins. On tonight's show, we'll hear about fascinating research in the field of mycology, including recent discoveries about the invasive death-capped mushroom in California. Joining me is Dr. Ann Pringle. She's currently the Mary Herman Rubinstein Professor in the Departments of Botany and Bacteriology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. She was an undergraduate at the University of Chicago and earned her Ph.D. in Botany and Genetics at Duke University before completing a Miller Institute for Basic Research and Science Fellowship at the University of California, Berkeley. She served on the faculty at Harvard University and received numerous distinguished awards in her field. In 2019, she was elected president of the Mycological Society of America and was born in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and spent her childhood traveling through Southeast Asia and West Africa. Dr. Ann Pringle, thank you so much for joining me this evening. Pleasure. Great. So first, I'd love to hear what brought you to the field of mycology. Your extended mm. bio mentioned your childhood exposed you to a lot of birds. Yeah. <laughs> um, but here you are studying fungi. Tell me that story. I ran away from birds. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I still love birds. But yeah, um, when I was an undergraduate, I've always loved plants. And I think um, I, in my deep psychology, somehow studying plants that are rooted in place, they don't they don't move, n- not the way that animals move. And I've I've always been sort of fascinated by things that cope with with the forces that come at them, mm. um, staying in place as opposed to you know running or flying away. Sure. Um, so I think that's a part of it. And then when I I began to move more deeply into the world of of plants, I realized if you ask a child to draw a plant, um, or often you would say, "Will you draw me a flower?" They'll draw a stem um, and petals but they won't draw roots. And somehow we walk around, although this is changing dramatically in the last um, few years, but in general, people have have not thought about soil and not thought about all the biodiversity that is in soil. And plants are emblematic of that. We think of the above ground bits, not the below ground bits. Mm -hmm. It's instinctively what we do. Uh, And the the more I learned about soil microorganisms, the more fascinated I became by what was happening underground. Um, and the diver- and I had a very, I had a great experience as, an, as a graduate student when I was earning my PhD in a field. It looked like, no- it looked like nothing. It looked like an old field. In fact, that's what we call it, an old field. <laughs> sure. uh, and, and there are grasses and, and beautiful things above. It's sort of like a prairie locally, but it doesn't have as much biodiversity as a, as a prairie does. Um, but even in this sort of, you know, what I think to most people would look like a junky old field, field, when we started looking at the fungi in the soil, we discovered dozens of species that were uh, um, undescribed, new things. Um, That particular field ended in tragedy when an art museum was built on top of it. (laughs) (laughs) And so all those species that we hadn't described, I don't know what happened to them, um, which Uh is a story that I could tell over and over again. Did you say that was local here? No, Madison? that oh, was in was Durham, North you, Carolina. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, oh. So anyway, so uh, yeah, I, as you can tell, I could talk a long time sure. about it. But but sure. basically, I'm really fascinated by hidden things and by mm. biodiversity and, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and things that aren't animals. Yeah, and I think we've realized so much just in research in the last 10 or 20 years about how much fungi, fungi are 
tangled up in our soil and yeah. how interconnected they are beneath the surface. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I joke with my daughters. I'm like, I've been obscure my whole life, and all of a sudden, I'm cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I study something that other people sure. all of a sudden seem to know about. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 So tell me about your work with the death cat mushroom, uh, specifically in California. What exactly is the death cat mushroom, mm. and what's special about the population in California. Yeah, and I should start just by acknowledging yeah. because listeners may have heard it's made it's hit the news. Uh, the Washington Post, the New York Times, a lot of media outlets have covered. There was a um, a group of people in Australia uh, where the death cap is not native. Uh, the death cap is a mushroom. It's a fungus, and it's introduced to the continent of Australia. And a f- uh, someone served death caps to the group of people eating with her and mm-hmm. three of them died. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there, so just to, we could talk about that more, but I, sure. I do realize that that's something that's been in the news lately. Yep. Mm-hmm. So um, death caps are, they, they grow in soil and they associate with the roots of trees. They give resources to the trees in exchange for carbon, for food. So it's a symbiosis um, it's a, uh, an association, a close physical association between two organisms of different species, mm-hmm. and they exchange things with each other. Um, the reason I study the death cap is because a long time ago, when I, we were living in California, I realized that this was a mushroom that was not native to California. It's from Europe. And while conservation work and people who think about invasive species, people who do that kind of work, that work focuses on animals and on mm-hmm. plants. Mm-hmm. So I would challenge your listeners to think about the last time they heard about an endangered microbe. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then, again, you know, back to deep psychology, why is it that humans who think about biodiversity, in general, we think about the biodiversity of animals, tigers, mm-hmm. and plants, mm-hmm. and we don't think about the biodiversity of microbes as if invasive plants were being moved across earth which is a stage where uh, people you know somehow have this impression that the microbes are immobile they stay put and so the idea of a, of a mushroom that was that's native to one place introduced to other places invasive mm-hmm. in some places mm-hmm. um, was really intriguing and i just wanted to learn everything I could about sure, it. Sure, sure. You mentioned that the death cat mushroom is invasive in Australia as well, yeah, as, it, yeah. as it is in California. So where is it native? In, um, it's in na- the Yeah, place? it's native to Europe. So basically, it's, okay. it starts in the north in um, what is called Fenno-Scandinavia. So, mm. so Sweden, Norway, think about the southern edges of those countries um, associated with oak there, growing in a symbiosis with oaks there. Mm-hmm. And then all the way down, it's in the UK, all across the UK, all the way down to, um, for example, the islands of Corsica and Sardinia and Sicily. Mm-hmm. So all the way, you know, sort of north to south in that dimension. And then from the UK, and then it's in Russia, in around Moscow, and that's where actually my information ends. One of the one of the strangest things about being a scientist is when you're trying to get information, sometimes politics gets in the way. Sure. Um, this has historically been been true. During the Cold War, for example, it was really hard to reach behind the Iron Curtain and get information mm-hmm. about fungal biodiversity you know, behind the Iron Curtain. And I, I, I am... Um, somewhat, um, to my astonishment, facing the same sorts of issues today, trying sure. to get information about hmm. the... So I don't have very much e- information about the eastern 
uh, and the eastern edge of it in on you know in Eurasia, mm-hmm. um, but th- that's where it grows, and maybe it grows in North Africa too, or maybe it doesn't. That's another thing I haven't haven't okay. been able to confirm. So how how are the microbes transporting themselves, or how are they getting into soil? These soil, yeah, okay. soil. So um, I think honestly, how how death caps got to California, we'll never really know. Mm-hmm. I just don't think we'll ever really know. Um, collections there date to the 1930s. But it's sort. But when I say a collection, it's a dried mushroom in a in a fungarium. Okay. Um, which a fungarium is a collection of dried dried mushrooms. So I I can look at these specimens and I can say, okay, by you know 1930 X it was in this place. By 1930 some other X it was in some other place. But that doesn't teach me about what the original introduction was because of course the mushroom is the reproductive structure. So the fungus can grow in soil for a while before it makes a mushroom. But until it makes a mushroom, we can't see it. Right. Um, certainly not with the tools available in the 1930s and 40s. So anyway, so 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 although we'll never really know, the idea is that so, at some point someone brought um, a tree. I'll tell you a story. It's okay. a story. Uh, <laughs> there, there's wine in California. At sure. some point someone thought maybe it would be good to have a domestic cork industry and so cork oaks were brought from Europe Mm -hmm. as saplings as seedlings and maybe um, a death cap traveled in the soil with I the see. cork oak. Sure. But it's a story. Yeah. I mean, it's people. Yeah. It's a story people like to tell, <laughs> but I, I can't tell you for sure it's true. If, if it's or not true. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So let's talk a little bit about how the death cap mushroom reproduces. Because as I understand, I mean, I think if I remember the quote, you said, we're witnessing evolution Oh, in yeah. real time. So yeah. talk a bit about how the deaf cat mushroom reproduces and what's going on yeah. in California that's so intriguing. So just to also just to back up. So so a huge part of my research is how does it happen? Uh, how does it how does some how does a fungus become invasive? Mm-hmm. A non-pathogenic fungus that's spreading. What are the what are the mechanistic underpinnings of that? How does it work? And so serendipitously, absolutely curiosity driven research, we generated a bunch of, of genomes for death caps in California, and we discovered something rather remarkable. So um, for this kind of fungus, typically you need to have um, two nuclei that fuse and generate spores. And we found that the death cap can actually make spores um, from a body that has only one nucleus inside it. Um, so, in other words, it, it can reproduce without mating. Mm. Um, so, the, the technical language is it's unisexual and bisexual. Mm. Um, so, and I think the reason that I'm calling it we're watching evolution in action is I think that this is happening. Died this this um, form of mating and reproduction is evolving in California, and it's um, I, I hypothesize that it's a that it's a reason that we're seeing it proliferate and spread because in California the so the mushroom is. Uh, it's um it's sort of an um I don't know whether I just worked with it for so long and mm. have been involved in some poisonings, but it's it's sort of like a it's an icky mushroom. It's oh. not beautiful. <laughs> the technical, the scientific <laughs> term. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's right. And I and where it grows in California, if you hit it at the right moment, there are hundreds of them. Yeah. Like you yeah. literally can't put your foot down without stepping on a death cap, um, which is not how it grows in Europe, and that's typical for a lot of invasive species. They grow differently in their invaded habitats Mm -hmm. and how they do in their native range. And it's very bland, too. I mean, it's not what you would normally think of as a poisonous mushrooms are brightly colored or yeah it's not yeah it's not it's not brightly colored Mm -hmm. it's sort of is um sort of a olive green cap it has these brown sort of you know striations or stripes in it Mm -hmm. um 
and yeah, it's not um, it's not super charismatic. Let's put it that way. Sure, sure. Um, but the um, I forgot where I was going with that. Just. Oh. Yeah, that's okay. I just want to remind our listeners that you're listening to the Perpetual Notion Machine on WRT 89.9 FM in Madison. If you're just joining us, our guest tonight is Dr. Ann Pringle. She's an evolutionary ecologist and professor of botany at the UW-Madison who's studying the death cat mushrooms in California. And we were just talking a bit about um, how these mushrooms reproduce and, and how that characteristic That's right. is yeah. defined in California. Yeah, so they just have a crazy, um, crazy ways of having sex, yeah. basically. <laughs> um, they either can do it with someone or they can do it without someone is the, is the very... <laughs> and I imagine that's a survival mechanism. So if they can't yeah. find a partner, they, they have... They can use their exactly. Own they don't need to yeah. find a partner, and that's there's something quite interesting about that because, of course, in a when you're um, landing in a new habitat, there may not be very many of you. So if you mm-hmm. can generate spores without needing a partner, um, it makes sense that mm-hmm. you would be more successful as an invasive right. species. Right. And then I would rush to add that there are not so many people who study invasive mushrooms. That would be an understatement. So mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. what I'm discovering with the death cap. It would be useful and interesting, and we don't know how it translates, how it does or doesn't translate to other invasive mushrooms. This is something that I think is really important. Back to the theme of humans think about invasive plants and animals. I don't think invasive mushrooms are rare. I just think that very few people have paid attention. Sure. We haven't borne witness to these changes in biodiversity. Um, so because we haven't borne witness, we haven't asked questions, we haven't studied them, I can't really tell you I, I can tell you about the death cap, but I can't tell you how it translates across other sure. invasive mushrooms. Yet. Yet. Yeah, <laughs> yet. Yeah. And that's another huge part of it. I mean, I just really want people to honor that mushrooms also are, you know, have a biodiversity. The mushroom you find in California is not the same as the mushroom you find in Alabama right. or Wisconsin or Russia or Tanzania mm-hmm. or Thailand or Vietnam. Every country that you go to will have a different set of fungi. Um, There's a huge colonial legacy of giving European names to the biodiversity that we find Mm -hmm. in Wisconsin. So for example, you know, we still live with that. In Wisconsin, you can pick up a field guide and you can see these names that are European names. They are not the fungi that we have in Wisconsin. We do not have those European fungi yet, and hopefully we never will. Mm. So, but because there aren't a whole lot of people who do the work of naming fungi, um, we just are stuck with that colonial legacy. That's just how Mm -hmm. it is in the world Mm -hmm. of fungi. So going back to the biodiversity of the mushrooms a bit, I think I remember um, a a portion of a, a quote saying that even the death cat mushrooms are not poisonous in the same way. Um, is that, do you remember no. that from the, okay. oh, oh, I know what you're saying. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. So fine. So yes. Okay. So there's, there's, it di- used there's to be, diversity even yeah, among there's, the individuals. Absolutely. That, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I would say that for a long time, scientists thought that to characterize the toxins of a species, you would pick up one mushroom and you would characterize the toxins in that mushroom and you'd say, yep, those are the toxins of the species. And so, um, l- lately, uh, my team also with the same genomes, uh, made this really startling discovery that that one mushroom does not have the same set of toxins as another mushroom, as a third, as a fourth, as a fifth. Some of the toxins, some of the poisons are found in every single mushroom, um, but mm-hmm. many seem to come and go. Mm-hmm. And so again, that, that speaks to evolution and action. There's a dynamic change over time in, in, these, in these sites. And I also want to hasten to add that I think I used the word I've been using the word I. None of this happens. We also have a paradigm in academia of sort of like the principal scientist, you know, leading a lab as the scientist. And yes. that's a lie. 
there's yeah. a team yeah. um, behind all of this work. It's a we. It's always a we. Right, right, which is a perfect segue to what I wanted to talk about next, and that is your lab at UW-Madison. Yeah. You know, tell me about the lab. Um, what type of, type of questions is the lab trying to answer through the research? Um, any question related to biodiversity and fungi. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we have a, we have, um, my students are in general pretty independent and they have um, picked things that they're interested in. So for example, one of my students just wrapped up a PhD studying snake fungal disease, mm. which is potentially an emerging infectious disease of snakes um, and is found also on, on uh, domestic um, pets, um, things like uh, corn snakes. Um, and maybe that's a route that you know through which the fungus is getting around, or maybe it's not. The, that's a question. Um, f- we study the genus Amanita quite a bit. We're really interested in other kinds of invasions that are ongoing um, at this point. Just also trying to document and and just you know teach and spread the message that. Uh, there is such a thing as an invasive fungus. There is such a thing as local biodiversity. Don't buy a grow kit and grow mushrooms from Alaska and then release them into the Wisconsin wild. Please don't do that. You wouldn't take your you know, exotic mm, parakeets that and release them outside and set mm. them free in a park, and nor should you do that with your fungi. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Gosh, yeah, we've got a all centered around idea, and then of course we're also interested in fundamental genetics and um, how things work at the genetic level. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the death cat mushroom is grabbing all the headlines, but there's a lot of good work. Um, yeah. Other than that, going yeah, on yeah, at your yeah. lab at your I lab today. I didn't mean it to be quite no. so. Um, <laughs> though you know, I, I worked with the death cat not because it's a death cat, but it, because it's invasive in California. But exactly. it, it is there is something about studying a deadly poisonous mushroom that captures attention. Exactly, exactly. Are there any um, ramifications um, with your research, either with the death cat mushroom or other work that you're doing with medicinal properties or um, applications to... I think there's a whole world, and I'm not the only one. I mean, I don't do... I don't I don't set out to do applied research, but Mm -hmm. of course, basic research often ends in applied um, tools. Um, it's quite often the fundamental basic science that generates the most radical tools, ultimately. Um, but I don't set out to do anything applied. Um, but, but yeah, as I said, I think myself and a lot of people think, well, if you're discovering a lot of toxins, of course, we, th- you know, a toxin could be a medicine at one dose and a toxin at a different dose. So yeah, I think there's a whole lot of natural chemistry in these. Um, in these associations that I'm that I'm looking at, mm-hmm. so not yet is what I would say. Sure, exactly, yeah. exactly. And I know you just returned from South Africa. Yeah, were you there for a year? Yeah, we were there for a oh, whole wow. year. Yeah, wow. yeah. So I'm assuming you were doing research there. Yeah. Was it related to? Tell me about your research. Yeah, so uh, so I went on a Fulbright scholarship to the to a place called FABI, the Forestry and Agricultural Biotechnology Institute. Mm. It's quite a mouthful at sure. the University of Pretoria. That's a little simpler to remember and uh, my husband and I went for a year and um, w- we did uh, quite a number of things um, we I did a lot of writing actually a lot of just catching up on manuscripts getting things out the door getting things analyzed we did a lot of training and teaching 
uh, we had one of the most fun things we did was we we were part of an effort to bring ten students from the U.S. to South Africa, and in collaboration with ten South African students, we um, studied the biology of a fungus that's been introduced to South Africa, and that is the world's most famous fungus, Amanita muscaria. It's the one that's red with white dots okay. that is right now everywhere on note cards and tea towels and mugs and <laughs> earrings, and I can't turn around. It used to be relatively rare to find mushroom swag, and it's everywhere now. Um, and it's all about Amanita muscaria, and it's with gnomes or fairies. Anyway, you get the idea. Yes. But it was introduced to uh, South Africa Again, um, uh, again, um, you know, global forces of history has something to do with that because it was brought by colonists who were colonizing the southern tip of Africa to create a way station for sailors who were traveling around Africa to mm-hmm. um, to get goods in the in the Far East. I'm not sure exactly what they were yeah. getting, but they were going back and forth between Europe and the Far East, and they needed to stop and provision and get fresh water and fresh food. And so, in an effort to establish um, gardens for food, but also timber plantations so that you could build a ship mast or a new ship or repair your ship. Um, again, back to the theme of plants were brought in with soil. And at some point in that history, and I'm talking about the 1600s now, mm-hmm. um, so really a long time ago, the Amanita muscaria was brought in. So we were working with this team in, in South Africa with this group of students who are all writing this up for publication now, working with this group of students to try to document the history of, of the fly agaric in South Africa. Where did it come from? When did it come from? Where is it now? Um, in South Africa, plantation forestry, people don't typically think of trees as crops, but they are. Um, so, for example, um, some of the clothing that you buy would be made out of a eucalyptus tree or your eyeglasses. So so we think of, and in many places in the world, including in the U.S., trees are, are planted as a crop. So you plant them in straight rows and you let them grow for 20 or 30 or years, depending on the species, and then you cut them down and you turn them into a commodity. Um, so we were, and fungi are a huge part of that because especially in, in, in Southern Africa, those trees didn't grow until fungi were imported to grow mm. with them. Um, anyway, so tracing the history of that and running um, CV workshops. My husband did a lot of tutoring mm-hmm. at various places. It was a spectacular year. Wow. Um, just the most um, amazing institute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's fascinating. So the, so the, Little red mushroom with the dots. This yeah, is, this was literally imported to help the timber industry in yeah, South Africa exactly. thrive. And what are the impacts of that of that mushroom now on the on that area? We don't know. We we don't know. Um, I think when people think about invasions, as uh, people rightly want to know about impacts. Sure. Um, but because there's so little information, I mean, right now I'm just trying to document the basic pattern. Mm-hmm. It belonged here. It was moved to this other sure. place. Now it's growing in this other place. Um, the death cap is kind of interesting that way, serendipitously, because it kills people. So that's a pretty strong impact. Um, you know, not very many people in any given year, but seems like always a few people every year. Uh, so that's one impact of that fungus. Muscaria is not, um, the, the red one with the white dots, is not deadly poisonous, but um, but might it be having other impacts? I mean, one impact that, it, that I think it's for sure having is it's enabling the invasions of pines. Mm-hmm. Um, pines are invasive and a problem in South Africa. They are devastating to the local mm-hmm. um, vegetation types. Um, Fainbos is a very famous 
South Africa is a biodiversity hotspot. Um, almost the mo- hottest of the hotspots is what they say. And so having pines invade these biodiversity hotspots is a problem, but fungi are a part of that. Things like muscaria. Wow. That's amazing. I mean, it's just all so fascinating. I feel like we could talk about this for hours. Yeah. <laughs> we only have a few minutes left, believe it or not. Um, and again, what is it? What is it that you would like to know through your research that you don't know now? That's probably a big topic. But. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, I have uh, so many questions. It's a somewhat unconstrained um, problem. Mm-hmm. Um, I have this funny thought that someday when you die, you have all knowledge. You have access to all knowledge. And I just think about that moment like, I'll know everything. <laughs> and then I, then, then it, all my problems will be solved. All of the things that I can't answer. Um, if I could... Um, so honestly, the the so it's something that we didn't talk about, but I do a lot mm-hmm. of work on lichens, and the lichen research has a little been a little bit shoved in the back corner because I feel that this work on, on invasive death caps is quite important. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I could do anything, I would um, ask and answer a lot of questions about how lichens function in the world. Sure, and there's such non-imposing things. Lichens, They're so I think. beautiful. They are, yeah, and so complex. They're. Um, little miniature worlds and more diverse than we can possibly imagine. Yes, I don't. Either. I don't even think we know. So right now, lichens are are named for the fungus that that forms the scaffolding, if you will, the mm. structure of the house where all these other things then accumulate and grow. Um, but I don't. So I don't. I think even the naming for us is a challenge. So we name them for the fungus, but why? I mean, actually, you know, at this right. point, I think we should do that. I don't think we should invent a whole <laughs> new system at the moment, but. But it's an interesting challenge to think about how we should name them and um, think about them. And yeah, there's a lot of the we like to be individualistic, I think, also in how we think about biodiversity. Mm -hmm. So we think about individual species and name individual species. But of course, we all know now that that's a lie. No species grows alone. So so how you know, how do you think about that problem more holistically or differently or creatively? And mm-hmm. what would it change about our world view generally? Mm-hmm. Well, I hope we have an opportunity to explore all of that. <laughs> um, is there anything else that y- you'd like to talk about that I didn't ask you about? No, but I hope I, I, I let my lab know really late. But if they're if they're listening, I just want to give a shout out to the lab. Oh, Hello, yeah. Lab. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, well, we're just coming down on the last couple of minutes here. Um, so it is. 727, we probably have a couple more minutes okay. for, for um, uh, any comments or questions that um, that we didn't touch on earlier. What were you most surprised about when you started digging into the work that you the know, Lab does? You know, what I think I was most surprised about is this idea that each of these individual death cap mushrooms, we'll go back to the death cap again, were... Um, were like their own individuals or, or yeah. evolved in a different type of way. Yeah. And about how um, interesting it might be to try to, I don't know, rope that in or contain that in some way when there's so much biodiversity, even between individuals. Yeah, it's really hard to understand what level to work at. Like, mm-hmm. I understand the working at the species level and counting, for example, all the different kinds of birds or all the different kinds of mushrooms. But when you di- when you pick one mushroom or you pick one bird and try to unpack its biology, it's a whole nother level and world of questions that right. you can ask and answer. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, we'll be keeping an eye on what your lab is doing, and we'd love to have you or one of your lab mates um, back in to to speak with us again. Thanks. We'd be glad to. Thank you for being here. We're big wart fans. There you go. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs)
We like that. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, thank you again, Dr. Ann Pringle. Um, it's been a fascinating discussion. Thanks for your time. Um, you've been listening to the Perpetual Notion Machine on WORT 89.9 FM. Our guest tonight was Dr. Ann Pringle. She's currently the Mary Herman Rubenstein Professor in the Departments of Botany and Bacteriology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Her lab at the UW-Madison is studying the death cat mushroom and many other things. Um, and um, thanks to Dave for engineering tonight's show. Um, thanks also to WRT News Director Charlie Pittman. I'm Katherine Garvins, and up next is Radio Literature with Melvin Hinton. Thanks for listening, and have a good evening. <laughs>